From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. He'd learned about greenhouse gases in school, but for Gabriel Nagel, fleeing a wildfire with his family made an indelible mark. I realized climate change wasn't just something of the future, it was of the present, and that really left me feeling a need to take action. Nagel, a college student from Denver, leads the EPA's new Youth Council. We'll talk about his visit with the vice president and about the pitfalls of mini-fridges. Then, the untold story of Colorado's fight to become the permanent home of Space Command. I talked to anybody and everybody who, was, who would listen, and even sometimes if they didn't want to listen, I would corner folks in the Pentagon and uh, make the case. The team at Purplish asks, is the fight really over? Thank you to the hundreds of individuals and families that give gifts of over $10,000 to Colorado Public Radio. We're so grateful for your trust, partnership, and passion. CPR serves Colorado, and donor support is essential to that mission. You can join the leadership giving community with a transfer of stock, a distribution from an IRA, an individual leadership partner donation, or a gift from your donor advised fund. Learn more on the support page at CPR.org. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. The nation's top climate change watchdog, the Environmental Protection Agency, wants input from young people. So it's formed a youth advisory council. The chairperson is a college freshman from Denver. 18-year-old Gabriel Nagel joins us to share his ideas, hopes, and maybe a little of his climate angst. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for bringing me on the show. When you were in seventh grade, you saw the infamous carbon chart showing how much CO2 levels have increased. But climate change wasn't concrete for you until a year later. This is in 2017. What happened, Gabriel? Yeah, so back in 2017, I was living in Boulder for a year. And while we were there, um, it started off just one morning. I smelt smoke and got out of bed. And I saw outside these giant helicopters splashing water and over the ridge in Boulder, uh, Sunshine Valley Canyon, they had a wildfire coming in and it was just approaching towards us increasingly fast. And in that moment, they evacuated all of our neighborhood. And while our home was fine when we returned, other neighbors were not as fortunate. And that left a real impact on me because I realized that climate change wasn't just something of the future. It was of the present and it was here and now. And that really left me feeling a much more vivid sense and need to take action on it beyond just those graphs that I saw back in middle school. I mean, that was a physical, emotional experience. You know, I have ducked uncovered in an earthquake. I've gone to the basement in a tornado. I've never had to evacuate for a fire. Can you talk just a, a little bit about that experience and what stands out? Yeah. So for reference, I live in a mixed family. Um, so I was with my dad, two stepbrothers, brother, our cat, Lewis. And in the evacuation process, they just were bringing everyone out. They had the uh, fire alarms, like sirens, blare in the neighborhood. From that process, we just left. And fortunately, it was just for um, a few hours. We didn't have to go for long or find somewhere to spend the night. It wasn't just the only one. There were fires going on in this period all throughout Colorado and in the rest of the U.S. Did the cat cooperate? The cat did cooperate. Okay, just, yes. just curious. <laughs> so that sparks an interest, a passion about climate action. And you later got your high school classmates involved 
in Denver. What did you achieve there? So I went to East High School here in Denver, and in Sustainability Club, we worked with a lot of different projects. We worked to get composting in our high school. We also did a green school energy audit and a lot of other programs. And as we were working, I'm, I'm curious, that, what did yeah. that audit reveal? Because East is such a beautiful building. I imagine it leaks like a, you know. Yes. Yeah, it definitely does. You're not mistaken. Um, when we did the audit, we did find that East was definitely not the most efficient building. There was a lot of heat loss coming from the windows because they weren't properly sealed. There were other issues with lights or even every single teacher having their own mini fridge. And after I got involved in sustainability work in high school, I worked together with activists from other high schools to create this group called DPS Students for Climate Action. You wanted to bring this beyond one campus. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And as you know, DPS is quite a big school district. There's nearly 200 schools and it comprises 90,000 students. So a district like that makes a decision and it has a big impact. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. DPS actually at the time was not held accountable to a lot of the city climate targets. So our group looked towards other resolutions that passed nearby. We saw a group in Salt Lake City actually pass a climate resolution in their school district. But a lot of these climate policies lack a focus on environmental justice. So what made our resolution different was that it set a focus directly on not just addressing the impacts of climate change, like reaching a set goal of carbon neutrality or 100% renewable electricity by 2030 and 2050, mm -hmm. but also working to make sure that the uh, disproportionate impacts of the environmental crisis and hazards were effectively resolved within the school district. The idea is, frankly, the poorer you are, the more likely you are to be vulnerable to climate change. The, the less likely, perhaps, that you would have ways of cooling yourself down as it gets hotter. Or I suppose there's the question, too, of exposure to pollution. What did you notice that was kind of uneven? One of them, for instance, is so-called like air pollution inequality. Uh -huh. So a lot of lower income students, for instance, might need to get picked up by school buses. And in the process of getting picked up in the mornings, they're exposed to dangerous exhaust coming from the bus, not just when they're standing outside of it, but also in the bus sometimes. Um, there's other issues as well, such as students who are on cafeteria foods in high schools often don't have the healthiest options and don't have a lot of vegetarian or vegan options if they're opting for that diet. For instance, and, and that's a climate issue because meat is carbon. Exactly. Yeah, uh -huh. Exactly. Yeah. And even with air conditioning, you know, I remember in East High School, we actually had a day canceled last year because the temperatures were just too high for the equipment in our school to keep up. All right. Well, that's the background. That's what catapults you to this EPA task force. You're still getting organized, I realize. But I don't know. What's the number one thing leaders need to hear from young Americans when it comes to climate and its harms? So I think first that we need to take action now. As I mentioned previously, climate change is not just an issue of the future. It's of the present and it's having a real impact on Americans, people living in Colorado today. So, but, I but think you know, Gabriel, when people say that we need to take action now, there's, you know, a contingent of politicians, for instance, and everyday people who just go, uh-huh, you know, they're likely to dismiss it. 
Absolutely. That's something that I experienced firsthand with the school district policy. So we actually worked for almost two years going to public comment months on end. And it was hard to get our voice heard. But we found that if you're persistent enough and make those in power listen, then you can help create that change. But it it certainly isn't easy. And we're not seeing the action that we need right now. How do you imagine getting that message out? Yeah, so I would say that young people need to get more involved within these processes. They need to start speaking up to leaders in their community, whether that be their school district, even just their high school, working to make local change that could be really impactful. That is, can the federal government be kind of a catalyst to get more of what you did at DPS into other school districts, maybe? Exactly. Yeah, okay. Any particular tools you use when you start to feel climate dread? Oh, yeah. So it definitely doesn't go away. I mean, I think you have to recognize that there's always going to be some existential dread there with the climate crisis. And that's something that a lot of youth are facing. For myself, what I found to be very helpful is mindfulness. So I try to incorporate a mindfulness practice um, every day, just like 10 minutes if I can. And then also what I find to be really helpful is just occasionally taking a deep breath when you're stressed out. One technique that I learned was called STOP which stands for stop, take a breath, observe, proceed. So that could be a really helpful technique when you're caught in the stress of the climate crisis, for instance. And just that brief moment to pause can help you create some space between the issue that you're facing and, and take more effective action. CPR's climate editor found out about your role on this task force via a social media post, and it was from Senator Michael Bennett. Is it weird to have like U.S. senators tweeting about you? Yeah, it's it's definitely quite crazy. Um, I did not expect to get this far in uh, my climate activism, you know, four years ago when I was starting high school. But over summer, I've had some incredible opportunities, including meeting the vice president, many of the representatives and senators. So it's been a really exciting experience. Did you get to speak to the vice president maybe about climate? I did, actually. Oh, yes. OK. <laughs> what Can you share? Yes. So this past summer, Vice President Kamala Harris actually came to Denver and she met with the group DPS Students for Climate Action, the group that we formed together to create that school district policy. And we had a chance to talk with about 10 other young people uh, in a small setting and help advise the vice president on the issues that we were facing uh, locally in Denver and Colorado. So we talked about climate anxiety and just the overall goals that the nation had. Um, And the vice president recognized actually the climate action plan that we passed as a model for the nation, Mm. hoping that it can inspire other youth across the nation. So nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, it was wonderful meeting you as well. Thank you so much for bringing me on the show. Gabriel Nagel is a college student from Denver. He was just picked to lead the EPA's new National Environmental Youth Advisory Council. The effects of climate change were often on the mind of the late John Fielder. The renowned nature photographer died last year, but not before donating his life's work to History Colorado. While he wanted people to make use of the archive, he hoped for something more. There's another audience out there that I hope takes advantage of my donation, and that is the scientist and the big thinkers who understand that planet Earth is changing 
faster and exponentially than we ever thought it would change because of climate change and global warming and that my photos will be a baseline for what Colorado looked like from 1973 to 2022 and that people in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, look at what happened from their day to my day and extrapolate and draw that line and project it into the future and say, is this what we want in 2100? And if their answer is no, what do we do about it? How do we change the way that we live to protect this place we love? Landscape photographer and conservationist John Fielder speaking with me just a few months before his death last year. Last week, History Colorado opened its new John Fielder Mezzanine Gallery dedicated to his work. The first exhibit is called Flow on the River with John Fielder. It showcases his work on the Colorado. When we come back, the untold story of Colorado's fight to keep Space Command and why that fight may not be over. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. The most infamous local official in Colorado is scheduled to go on trial soon. Tina Peters allegedly leaked sensitive election information from her county to the whole country. I think honestly she felt out of 350 or 400 million people in this country that she's the one that could prove that Trump won the election. I'm Ben to Brooklyn. Peter's story is more than a juicy escapade. It's a warning sign for 2024. Listen to Colorado In-Depth in your favorite podcast app. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Now, the story behind Colorado's fight to become the permanent home of Space Command. It's a tale of politics and national security, of bipartisan cooperation, and lots of lobbying. Here are CPR Southern Colorado reporter Dan Boyce and Washington, D.C. correspondent Caitlin Kim with a special episode of Purplish. Last year, on July 31st, Senator Michael Bennett was in a remote part of Gunnison County, outside of cell phone range, trying to build support for a public lands bill. What he didn't know was the White House was trying to get a hold of him. A staff person from my office in Grand Junction had to drive all the way from Grand Junction to the campsite where I was to tell me that the White House was trying to get a hold of me. Bennett hopped in the car and headed toward Crested Butte, waiting for those telltale bars to appear on his phone. And literally, I had my cell phone in my hand as I was going. And when he finally got service, he didn't need to call Washington to know what was going on. The news had broken that the decision had been made. Colorado Springs would remain the home of U.S. Space Command. President Joe Biden had reversed the decision made by former President Donald Trump to move the command to Alabama. If you've been paying attention to Colorado news, even casually over the past few years, you've probably heard something about Space Command and the tussle between Colorado Springs and Huntsville, Alabama, over which city would claim it as their own. For more than three years, Colorado fought to hold on to this prestigious command. It's a military mission with less than 2,000 personnel, but it could drive up to a billion dollars in economic impact for the region and further cement Colorado Springs as a hub for the space industry. It was important enough for Colorado's entire political leadership to set aside their differences and work together for a common goal. They waged a campaign in the halls of Congress and on Air Force One, deploying watchdog reports and off-the-cuff conversations to convince the White House Space Command belongs in Colorado.
If you're not really sure what Space Command is or does, it's what's known as a combatant command. Basically a place where all branches of the American military come together to orchestrate and coordinate its space-based missions. Colorado Springs has been the epicenter of Space Command throughout its various iterations. That's former Colorado Springs Mayor John Southers. U.S. Space Command's first iteration started in 1985 at Peterson Air Force Base. Which is now called Peterson Space Force Base. Its mission was to counter high-tech threats from the USSR. But in the early 2000s, as the Pentagon shifted its focus to counterterrorism, it mothballed the command. And that's how things stayed for 17 years, until 2019. With growing concern about China and Russia and their moves in space, then-President Trump re-established Space Command on a sunny and hot summer day in Washington, D.C., in a Rose Garden ceremony. It's a big deal. As the newest combatant command, SpaceCom will defend America's vital interests in space, the next warfighting domain. And I think that's pretty obvious to everybody. It's all about space. Just like before, Peterson welcomed back Space Command, but only on a temporary basis. With the order, the Pentagon immediately began a search for a permanent home, and Colorado was a contender. Landing a combatant command is a big deal. Lots of cities wanted it. And under pressure, the Air Force agreed to try a new method of picking the final base. It allowed cities to apply for it and consider it a much broader range of factors. Not just military concerns, but also a community's quality of life and cost of living, Mayor Southers. I think it was understandable politically. A lot of politicians were putting pressure on the administration. Colorado's federal lawmakers, like Colorado Springs Congressman Doug Lamborn, hoped being named the temporary headquarters would help the case to make it permanent. We knew it would be a good step because it would help Colorado Springs solidify its position. But local leaders knew locking in the permanent headquarters was no sure thing. This is where we bring in Colorado Springs' own Don Conley. Yeah, so I was uh, mayor's special assistant from 2020 to 2022, and I uh, was his military liaison to all the installations, his military representative. Conley was part of the team working on the bid the Springs was putting together to keep the command where it was permanently. We didn't want to have any kind of presupposed notions that just because we were, you know, the temporary or the provisional base, that that, that would definitely continue over. It was a lesson Colorado would learn the hard way over the following few years in fierce competition with one other city in particular. The future of American space warfare could be coming right down the street. Huntsville is one step closer to becoming the home of U.S. Space Command. The Rocket City knows a thing or two about going to space. Like Colorado Springs, Huntsville emerged as a finalist early. It's got a low cost of living and scores well on quality of life. The Army's Redstone Arsenal has a long history in missile defense and aerospace. And NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center is there. Hence Huntsville's nickname, Rocket City. Madison County, Alabama Commission Chair Dale Strong spoke with WAFF48 about the city's bid. We're already doing things that many people can only fathom. The heavy concentration of engineers, our workforce that's here, the University of Alabama in Huntsville, this is the optimal place. Strong, who made the case for Huntsville as commissioner, is now a U.S. Congress member serving on the House Armed Services Committee an even more powerful perch to make the case for a state. 
Throughout the selection process, Colorado's political leadership tried every avenue they could to help the state's chances, including going all the way to the top. The conversation with President Trump certainly one of the more unusual ones in the sense that it's hard to get the guy's attention. That's Governor Jared Polis, a Democrat. He got FaceTime with Trump in February 2020. The president came to Colorado Springs for a political rally, and Governor Polis had a chance to talk with him on Air Force One. I think he had like a pro wrestler promoter on the flight, and I said hi to them. I don't know who these people were. But then he took me back to his little office on Air Force One, and uh, we met privately for quite a while, probably 20, 30 minutes. That wow, wow, well, I feel like that's rare. Well, it's not necessarily rare, because a good probably 80% of the time was him talking non sequiturs about different things. But absolutely, I had the time to make the case on Space Command and probably spent, you know, five minutes that he got to listen to on that. And that was just the first pitch Trump got during his Colorado stop. At the rally, he was joined by all of Colorado's Republican Congress members and its senator. You've done so much good for Colorado. As a result of your work, the Bureau of Land Management is now headquartered in the great state of Colorado. This is then-Senator Cory Gardner. United States Space Command and Space Force are operating out of Colorado Springs. Actually, it's really only Space Command. Trump even teased the permanent headquarters decision at that rally. And I will be making a big decision for the Space Force as to where it's going to be located, and I know you want it. Again, he meant Space Command, not Space Force. Space Force is the newest military branch, and like all military branches, it's headquartered out of the Pentagon. It's pretty easy to mix up or conflate the two, as you can see. But I promise you, through this whole episode, we're only talking about Space Command. Anyway, back to the rally. Trump even mentioned his meeting with Polis. The governor showed up at the plane today, your governor, Democrat. No, no, but in all fairness, he showed up because he wanted to lobby to see if they could get it. That's okay, that's all right. And we are going to be making that decision, Corey, when we make that decision, all right? Okay. Teasing a big national security decision like this at a campaign rally isn't exactly normal. But Colorado's leaders weren't really surprised. Governor Polis. I mean, we wanted to remove this from the political circus. It's hard to do that with someone like President Trump. He views everything, I think, through sort of what some might call political view, but it's also kind of a view of what's best for him, what's best for, for Donald Trump. And uh, so you have to kind of couch your arguments along those lines. Now, one conversation Trump did not mention in his speech was the chat he'd had with the Colorado Springs mayor earlier. He got off the plane. John Southers was out there on the tarmac when Trump came down the stairs. I introduced myself. Welcome to Colorado Springs. Really pleased to have you. And while we're in a competitive process, we really feel like the national defense and the taxpayer interests lie with it staying in, in Colorado Springs. And the president uh, looks at one of the four stars and says, is this where it belongs? And the four-star general says, absolutely points to the, the ground, says this is where it belongs. But it was the next question that surprised Southers. And then he says to me, uh, are you a Republican mayor? And I said, uh, yes, I am. And he says, well, what are my prospects in Colorado? Well, being the diplomat that I am, I didn't say no chance in hell, Mr. President. I said uncertain. And he seemed a little bit perturbed by that. And he said, uh, well, I think I'm going to wait till after the election to make this decision. I want to see how it comes out. 
In Alabama, Trump beat Biden by more than 25 points. In Colorado, Trump lost to Biden by over 13. I was pretty certain on election night we were, <laughs> we were in bad shape. Election night comes and goes, and still no decision. Of course, there's a lot going on, and as Trump searched for allies in his efforts to stay in power, Alabama provided some very loyal ones, like Representative Mo Brooks. In my judgment, if only lawful votes cast by eligible American citizens are counted, President Trump handily won the Electoral College and second term as president. His district included Huntsville. He was also a close Trump ally who helped energize the crowd at the January 6th rally. Today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. He was the one that was saying, you know, we're going to go kick some, you know, at the speech. Again, Mayor Souther's military liaison, Don Conley. He had on his Kevlar and his uh, all his gear, but he was the one that was really inciting the crowd to go um, make the make the attack. Louder! Will you fight for America? With the unprecedented strife of January 6th and everything that followed, you'd be forgiven for thinking Space Command might fall off Trump's priority list. But in a surprise move, on January 13th, just a week before he left office. Huntsville is now the preferred location for the U.S. Space Command headquarters. That announcement made just a few hours ago means Space Command operations is now heading to Huntsville, Alabama, and will be housed in Redstone Arsenal. The Department of the Air Force will make a final decision in 2023. Until then, Peterson remains the provisional headquarters. Huntsville gets a huge leg up. It's named the preferred location, pretty much giving it the inside track to get the permanent headquarters. Still, anonymous sources told news outlets the criteria used for the basing decision had favored Huntsville, but that top generals had told the president despite this, they felt it should stay in Colorado Springs. Trump apparently overruled them. Representative Lamborn got an early heads up. I got a call from Secretary Barrett. Air Force Secretary Barbara Barrett, a Trump appointee, was letting him know that, despite being the former home, as well as the temporary home for Space Command headquarters, it would not be staying in Colorado. And of course, it was a devastating blow because it was so wrong. It was a wrong decision and should never have been made. Lamborn says Barrett tried to justify the decision, saying there was a reconsideration of factors. You know, the new method they used for basing decisions that looked at the community more holistically. She didn't sound very convincing to me, uh, I'm not sure she was convinced herself, but she was very loyal and wouldn't second guess Donald Trump, the president who had appointed her in the first place. Senator Michael Bennett says there had been rumors this might happen, but he was still shocked, not only by the news itself, but by the timing, just before a new president came into office. I think pretty quickly our heads were spinning because of January 6th, uh, getting ready for January 20th, and making sure that the, you know, that the incoming administration understood that, that President Trump had made this in the waning days. As this was happening, newly elected Senator, Democrat John Hickenlooper, was settling into his new office after defeating Republican Cory Gardner. When Huntsville got announced as the new Space Command HQ, Hickenlooper had only been on the job 10 days. I called my new chief of staff and I said, it looks like we've got a big project. To put it mildly, Colorado leaders were not happy. Governor Polis. 
the pivot after that devastating decision, we felt it was the wrong decision, is let's audit this. Let's get the information out. He and others had their suspicion the choice was not made for true defense reasons, but rather done for political ones. But even with Trump now out of office, it couldn't just be reversed. So they were all trying to figure out what their options were. Do you remember a, a meeting when you all met afterwards and you're sitting around and going, OK, well, here's our new strategy. Let's get after this. This isn't over yet. Oh, man. Yeah, we did. I mean, we dug in, you know, and, and that's one thing I was so proud about our, our state and our delegation. And we had meetings every Friday. So we'd call them Space Command Fridays. Don Connolly was on that team. It was led by the lieutenant governor's office. And with them, around the table or the Zoom screen, were representatives from the state's congressional delegation. Oh, my gosh. It makes me laugh a little bit just because we were so much on the same page. We we're all so much in lockstep. We, we reviewed each other's talking points. We reviewed, you know, our approaches and things like that. It was bipartisan from the very beginning. And in a funny way, you sit where we are now and you look back. And that was one of the most impactful decisions was we want the whole state to be united in this and use all of our relationships and networks to bring as much horsepower as possible to changing the direction of this decision. Almost two weeks after Trump made his decision, the delegation sent a letter to the White House and the new president, Joe Biden. The ask? conduct a thorough review of the Space Command basing decision to see whether Huntsville really came out on top in the military's estimation or if it really was a political decision by Trump, Congressman Lamborn. One thing we had to do is get our hands on the information that they used purportedly, uh, with quotation marks around it, to, to make the decision. And we immediately started the wheels turning to get that information. That meant asking for an investigation. Lamborn got the Government Accountability Office, Congress's watchdog agency, to look into it. But what they really wanted was a report from the DOD's Inspector General. And to get that, the pressure had to come from the right people on the right committees. And this is where Alabama has a big advantage. When you look at the House and Senate Armed Services Committees and Appropriation Committees, four different committees, Alabama has seven people on those four committees, and Colorado has one, me. So to push their case forward, Colorado lawmakers really needed allies from other states. And Hickenlooper says they found them. Deb Fisher from Nebraska came out and supported us originally because one of the other locations was in Nebraska, was in Omaha. But then she just thought it was wrong, just flat out wrong. Jean Shaheen from New Hampshire became a vocal advocate. Both those senators serve on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Hickenlooper and Bennett do not. So both of them cast crucial votes to block or parry motions that would have put us at a greater disadvantage. Two other Democrats on the House Armed Services Committee from Tennessee and California succeeded in getting the IG to investigate the basing decision. Colorado Democratic Congressman Jason Crow, who used to serve on armed services with Lamborn, points out there's strength in numbers. So the broader coalition you can create, the more uh, strength you have in making your case. So we enlisted our friends, our allies, folks that understand space issues deeply, people that are dedicated to the national security of the United States. And, and we were able to do that effectively.
It took over a year for the two reports, one from the DOD inspector general and the other from the GAO, to finally come out. And when they did, there was no smoking gun showing Colorado was the better choice. Hi, Coach Tuberville here. In fact, Alabama had plenty to celebrate. I'm glad to report both reviews were positive. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville. We know that the Air Force selection process was robust and objective, the investigations extensive, and the conclusion the same throughout. It was reasonable in identifying Huntsville as a preferred location for headquarters. The investigations found Huntsville was fairly ranked ahead of Colorado Springs based on the criteria the Air Force used for the basing decision. However, they also raised concerns about how those criteria were applied. If you take both reports together, there are some pretty significant indictments of the process. Investigators said best practices were mostly not followed. They found shortfalls in transparency and credibility. For example, they found data points like housing costs and quality of local schools, which favored Huntsville, that those criteria were given the same weight as military considerations, like what infrastructure was already in place to do Space Command's job. Those heavily favored Colorado Springs. Even the IG report, the Air Force's own IG report, concluded in the end that the Air Force had paid insufficient attention to the readiness question. Readiness, as in how fast the new command could get up and running at full strength. The Washington speak for readiness is full operational capability, or FOC. You'll hear this term a lot, including from Lamborn. One of the two reports said that when you took FOC into cons readiness into consideration, Colorado Springs went to the top of the list. But they ignored that because they were looking at things like school districts and housing costs and utilities and things like that. By this point, it was early summer 2022. The lobbying effort that started when Biden took office had been running for 18 months. And the White House just kept saying the move to Alabama remained under review. If there was pressure under Trump for Colorado's Republicans to make the case for Space Command, now that burden was on Democrats in the delegation. And they leaned in. Well, we certainly had better access in the Biden administration than in the Trump administration. Congressman Crow was grabbing time with every relevant official he could, whenever he could, trying to make the case that keeping the command in Colorado was in the best interest of national security. In early 2022, I flew back to Colorado on, on Air Force One with the president and had the opportunity to sit with him for a while and talk about this issue and why it was important for Colorado and why it was the right move. So I had the ability to do that. I did the same with Secretary of Defense Austin. Uh, also talked a, a number of times with Secretary of the Air Force Kendall. So, you know, I, I approached it from every angle. I talked to anybody and everybody who was who would listen. And even sometimes if they didn't want to listen, I would corner folks in the Pentagon and uh, make the case. Bennett also got a couple of one-on-one -on -one conversations with Biden. In October 2022, the two drove to Camp Hale, near the headwaters of the Eagle River, where Biden was about to make it a national monument. Bennett again pointed out the military generals thought the command should stay put. Well, the arguments were that the, our national security required this to stay in Colorado, that it would take a long time for it to be set up in Alabama, that it would cost a lot of money to be set up in Alabama, and that the generals had agreed that this is where it should stay, was Colorado. And 
that Donald Trump overruled them and made a political decision. In a nutshell, that was basically the argument that I was making. You know, I wasn't making an argument necessarily about schools or about uh, cost of living, or it was really focused on national security, which is what I think the focus should have been. Bennett joked that whenever he called DOD or the White House, they knew he was calling about Space Command. It became an issue during his re-election campaign. His challenger, Republican Joe O'Day, said Bennett should hold up nominations and block bills until he got a guarantee the headquarters would remain in Colorado. Bennett countered, they should keep politics out of it. I think the last thing we wanted to do in the early days of this was politicize a, a decision that had been made politically by Trump, Donald Trump. And Hickenlooper explains the Air Force was also leery of reversing course at this point for exactly that reason. A Democratic president taking away a command from a red state to keep it in a blue one might make it look like they were the ones playing politics. One time we had Secretary Kendall in this office saying, well, we've done these investigations and we looked at, at both the investigations and reviews that we've done. We don't see any evidence of political nature being involved in his in the president's overriding the decision and judgment of the generals. The news site Breaking Defense got a hold of an unredacted copy of the IG's investigation, which confirmed that while Huntsville scored higher on the selection criteria, top generals preferred the Springs, and their decision document to President Trump said as much. The three generals all agreed it should stay in Colorado Springs, and President Trump override that. But Secretary Kendall says, we don't have any evidence of, of this being political in nature. And that's when we, you know, I started calling people one after another saying, we got to find some. They did have one pretty big piece of evidence from Trump himself, something he said just months after he made the decision. One of the happiest days was, you know, when President Trump went on the Rick and Bubba show. And it is our honor, Rick, this hour and right now to have former President Donald J. Trump on the show. Trump called into a radio talk show in Alabama and talk turned to Space Command. Yes, we appreciate that. Huntsville is very appreciative. And he said, ah, I single-handedly gave it to Alabama. And I single-handedly said, let's go to Alabama. They wanted it. I said, let's go to Alabama. I did this and I gave it to them. And so I was literally went into the mayor's office and was, you know, kind of doing a little happy dance because it was like, did you hear that? Oh, my gosh. You know, Trump finally admitted it, you know, that he had he had done this and it was a political move. And so we were pretty happy. And but an off-the-cuff comment on a radio show was not going to be enough to overturn an entire basing decision. They needed more proof, and they knew who might have it. Senator Hickenlooper calls me. He said, you know, uh, Senator Bennett and I had a meeting with Frank Kendall, the Secretary of the Air Force. And while he's very cognizant of all the issues, he doesn't seem to be as convinced as we think he should be that this was a clearly political decision by Donald Trump. And we know you have related to us the conversations you personally had with the, the former president. Would you be willing to relate those? I said, absolutely, I would. Remember that conversation Colorado Springs Mayor John Southers had on the tarmac with Trump? I'm going to wait till after the election, see what happens. That's exactly what he said. And at that point in time, you didn't have to be a genius to read the tea leaves. Southers sent a letter to the Pentagon relating that tarmac conversation and his belief, as a Republican mayor, 
that Trump wanted to put the command in a state that supported him. At the same time, since it felt like Colorado's arguments still were not being heard inside the Pentagon, Hickenlooper decided it was time to try a new approach, get people's attention. So he reached out to a Washington Post columnist. And that's when we started reaching out to David Ignatius and trying to get him pointing out all these things that we pieced together to see whether he thought that was worthy. As Ignatius dug into the issue, he got a hold of Souther's letter and reported on it. And more importantly, he wrote that, according to a source in the administration, the White House was going to reverse course on the basing decision. It grabbed the attention of Colorado and Alabama lawmakers. Still, the months dragged on without any announcement. And things just got more and more political. Abortion even got dragged into it. Alabama lawmakers accused Biden of wanting to keep Space Command in Colorado so service members would have local access to legal abortion. Hickenlooper got into a Twitter fight with one of the Alabama senators over that point. Once we got politics out of this decision, they're trying to put the, say that, well, politics is back into it. No, we made this decision for out of national security, and it's hard for me to imagine anyone could argue that. Still, the Coloradans knew all their work might come to nothing. There were a few times when I was worried that we were not, that they were just, that there was too much else going on at the White House, that the inertia that had set in at the Air Force couldn't be overcome. I mean, look, in the end, Caitlin, it is a fact that the Secretary of the Air Force, in the end, was still recommending Alabama, and the generals were still recommending Colorado, Colorado Springs. Secretary Kendall declined CPR's requests for an interview, but still, this was a big concern for the Coloradans. The military leaders who knew the command best thought it should be at Colorado Springs, but the Air Force secretary, a political appointee, was still recommending Huntsville out of concern that any change could look political. On June 1st, 2023, another fateful presidential visit to Colorado. President Biden came to Colorado Springs to give the commencement address at the Air Force Academy. And like that moment with Trump years before, Southers found himself once again in a line of dignitaries waiting to chat with the president, this time with Senator Bennett at his side. And Bennett, being a savvy guy, says, hey, look, I'll have a little chit-chat about his trip to Japan, and then I'll say, Mayor Southers has been working incredibly hard on this Space Command issue. And before Southers could even make his pitch, President Biden says, I am very, very, very aware of the issue, which was a very good thing, okay? And he said, look, we are in the process, uh, we probably need another month or two, but the Secretary of the Air Force is, and the White House are re-examining this issue. You know, uh, Biden acknowledged that it's such a dangerous time. We ought to be focused on where can we get up and running the fastest and the most effective. That's everything you would have wanted to That's hear. That's exactly right. We were incredibly heartened. In fact, I felt very confident walking away from that, that we may see a reversal of it, simply because they were totally, you know, he said we are totally focused on the right issues here. And lo and behold, almost two months later, that's the decision that's made. 
breaking right now. It appears President Joe Biden will keep Space Command right here in Colorado Springs. So this after years of political back and forth, President Biden made that decision, overturning former President Trump's plan to move it to Huntsville, Alabama. Senior American leaders say Space Command General James Dickinson convinced President Biden. He said moving it from Colorado Springs would lead to disruptions and jeopardize military readiness. It was the decision Coloradans had been waiting years for. Biden administration comes out and they, they announce the basing decision. Are you all thinking, hooray, now it's definitely over. Well, we had a big party. We were super happy. It was a big community event and, you know, lots of, uh, lots of celebration. I just imagine the Huntsville equivalent to Don Conley sitting there and on the day that President Biden made that decision and going like, well, it's not over yet. Right. Probably like we did. Right. And, and, you know, obviously it's a tough decision and it was it was hard, you know, for Alabama, too. It's something that they worked really hard on. They wanted to win. And they have absolutely not given up. In fact, pretty much immediately, everything shifted to a mirror image. Now you have a Republican state arguing that a Democratic president made a political decision to benefit a state that supports him. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has chosen to play politics with our national security. After a long and competitive national process, Huntsville, Alabama was selected as the best location to host the United States Space Command. That's chair of the House Armed Services Committee, Mike Rogers, from Alabama. He held a hearing as soon as he could on the decision to keep Space Command headquarters in Colorado, and he got support from Republican representatives Dale Strong, and Democratic Representative Terry Sewell. Huntsville came in first place and Colorado Springs came in fifth, five separate times. I'd be willing- We've made a political decision over a competency decision. And I know that this administration strives for equity, strives to be fair, and this is simply unfair. Lamborn, as the only Coloradan on the committee, made the lone case for the state. I was kind of the kicking uh, toy. The dilemma here is clear. Whether the command moved to Alabama or stayed in Colorado Springs, can politics ever be taken out of the equation when politicians are involved? Then it thinks so. And I would much prefer to have a president who makes those decisions based on national security, not based on politics. So for me, that's in a way, you know, a, a big win too, because I think we were able to reassert the way these decisions should be made. Alabama, of course, does not see it that way. Its members have asked for their own reports on the Biden decision, and they plan to use their committee perches to fight the move, including withholding construction funds until their reports are out. And to make this all more fraught, the whole thing has dragged on long enough that, of course, it is once again an election year. Now, the 800-pound elephant in the room is, what if Donald Trump gets re-elected president of the United States? Former Colorado Springs Mayor John Southers, he's a Republican, but no Trump fan. I mean, I think he would probably be inclined to say, oh, my decision was the right one and I'm going to reverse the Biden administration decision. But I do think the longer it's in Colorado Springs, now that we're at full operational capability and the amount of vet, and once there's a recognition of the amount of investment it would take to move, I'd be surprised if that happens.
Governor Jared Polis agrees time is now on Colorado's side. It might not be over yet, but there's only minutes on the clock here. And uh, we just need to make sure that the longer this becomes reality, that we defend it aggressively based on the merits, avoid distractions, and continue to support our national defense, including Space Command. And Colorado has one very solid argument on its side that it didn't have three years ago. Space Command announced on December 17th, 2023, that it has reached full operational capability in Colorado Springs. Moving now, advocates can argue, would make the country vulnerable today with little to be gained in the future. That is Caitlin Kim, our Washington correspondent and Southern Colorado reporter, Dan Boyce. They hosted a special episode of Purplish, CPR's podcast about politics and policy. Purplish returns soon with episodes about the legislative session underway and how it could shape life in Colorado. Find it everywhere you get podcasts and at CPR.org. Finally today, what if there were a pill you could take to ease heartbreak. It's something researchers are working on, and it's one of the fascinating threads in a book called Heartbreak by Colorado science writer Florence Williams. She also asks, is it medically possible to die from a broken heart? And she explores why beauty can help us bounce back from a breakup. Well, Williams will join me next week in Loveland, Colorado, as we record an episode of our book series, Turn the Page. We'll be at the historic Rialto Theater in downtown Loveland the evening of Wednesday, February 7th, and you are invited. Tickets at CPR.org slash turn the page. And that is Colorado Matters for today, with special thanks to Joe Wirtz. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News and KRCC.